0: This episode of Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media and the producer co-host of the show. Connect with us via www.popupstudio.productions or follow and direct message me on Twitter by at Greg Masters MPH and that's Greg with two G's. Joining me in the virtual studio is co-founder and principal co-host Fred Goldstein, president of Accountable Health, LLC. And if you're new to the channel, Pop Health Week engages top industry talent spanning health systems, health plans, physician enterprises, joint ventures, employer purchasing coalitions or alliances, and the regulatory community writ large in population health best practices and strategies. On today's show, our guest is Prashant Natarajan, Vice President at H2O.AI, a market leader in the AI and machine learning space. Prashant is tasked with strategy and product-led growth. He is a best-selling author with his most recent release of Demystifying AI for the Enterprise and also serves as co-faculty at Stanford Medicine. We discuss the growing body of AI and machine learning applications and use cases, both administrative and clinical, integrating health data via analytics, driving value in the insurance, informatics, and clinical operational space via AI. Do follow Prashant's work on Twitter via at N-A-T-A-R-P-R-N at h2o ai respectively and on the web via www.h2o.ai and with that introduction fred over to you
1: thanks so much greg and prashant welcome to pop health week it's great to have you back
2: great to be here fred and greg hope you're all well
1: we are thank you so much it's absolutely a pleasure to get you on i know we've had you on before but why don't you give us a quick background
2: I am Vice President of Strategy and Products at H2O.AI, specifically responsible for healthcare, life sciences, and health insurance, and also do a lot of work on the product side of the house, also with unstructured data, uh, documents, and medical images. H2O.AI is... uh, the world's largest, oldest open source AI machine learning company. And uh, prior to coming to H2O, I had various stints um, across the globe at Unum, Deloitte, Oracle Health Sciences, McKesson, and Siemens. Uh, Great to be back here, Fred, also to talk about Demystifying AI for the Enterprise, our new book.
1: Absolutely. You're a publisher, an author, I should say, and you've published a couple books on AI, correct? That's right. Uh, A couple of books. And so let's start out. Can you tell us what's the difference between AI and some of the normal analytics and things you see? People oftentimes are claiming they've got an AI system, but when you look behind the curtain, it really isn't. So what is it?
2: There is a lot that has been claimed to be an AI system. And if we go down the list of everything that has gone by AI, it reminds me of a, a joke that my father used to tell me about counterfeiting and scotch whiskey in India. He used to say that there is more scotch whiskey drunk in India than is made in all of Scotland. So to use that same analogy over here with AI, I think we see much more AI or AI washing, as I call it in the book, taking something that is fundamentally not AI or is something that is fundamentally the same as it was before, but changing your marketing material to now call it AI powered, AI enabled, etc, etc, etc. It's gone to a ridiculous extent, enough across the board. So if you take a, at least the conversation between analytics and AI, there are some similarities over there, you could argue, even though there are significant differences. But if you take a look at the robotic process automation, which is really not learning, right, it's templating, <clears throat> it's drawing pictures and boxes, around very well-defined structured workflows. There's a lot of AI washing that is happening there. There are CRM systems, electronic health record systems, everybody who's claiming to do some form of AI, but very few who are actually doing it and even fewer that are doing it right and doing it transparently and responsibly.
1: So for those of us who are less sophisticated in the, say, programming or AI space, what are some questions people could ask to ferret out whether the company that's presenting their product really has AI built into it or not?
2: That's a fantastic question, um, Fred. And um, I would say that the first thing to do is I would request your readers to, to buy our new book, Demystifying AI from the Enterprise. Not because it's a glib answer, because we go into a lot of detail about what is AI and what is not AI, right? And so an AI system should do certain things at the very minimum. It should be able to leverage data at its fullest, data of all its kind, structured data, unstructured data, documents, images, etc. It should be able to put that data to work. How it does that, we talk about in chapter 1 and 2. It does that by recognizing patterns. It does that by making predictions. It does that by extrapolating, right? And essentially, artificial intelligence is Very simplistically, the process of putting our data to work um, using linear algebra, concepts of statistics, probability, pattern recognition, computer vision, natural language processing in order to look into the future. And when you fundamentally look at what humans want to do, as human beings, we have n- never been in favor of looking at yesterday's news and being happy enough with it. We want to look forward. The oldest texts that exist to us today are surprise, surprise, are
1: almanacs
2: where people were trying to predict the weather or people were trying to predict the humidity or predict infestation, right? Uh, same thing with respect to uh, uh, predictions of trade, predictions of monetary weights and measures, standardization. So the I would say that human existence and trade and commerce and education have all relied on a large extent of prediction with prediction not being certainty. Today, we are at that perfect storm, Fred, where Computing power, data, technology, human resources have all come together in a way to make our dreams possible.
1: Mm -hmm. And if we think about the use of AI, machine learning, and those tools today, particularly within healthcare, where are we seeing progress being made? You know, everybody talks about it. It's out there in the clinical setting. It's in the imaging setting. It's in the operational areas. Where are we seeing true value today? It's an
2: interesting question because I think, depending on who you are in the healthcare continuum, organizations and people, more importantly, are seeing value across board. So let's take a provider organization, health system, for example, either an integrated delivery network or an academic medical center or a community health center. So, what I'm seeing a lot of is just to stick to health systems and healthcare providers, many uses of AI in the following areas. Number one, patient engagement, for example, recommendation engines identifying the best educational resources for a patient given that point in time that patient's needs that's not just personalized but that is also context sensitive using recommender systems right that's one huge area that we are focusing on looking at the supply chain which has taken a huge hit during this pandemic and taking a look at not just par room inventory management, but looking into orders, looking at anomalies, looking at invoices and purchase orders in order to speed up the supply chain process, to make it more efficient, to provide relief to the humans of healthcare. Looking at precision medicine to combine genomic data and phenotypic data together to be able to create multimodal AI models that not just leverage computer vision, but also natural language processing and episodic or time series data, across all the way to operational efficiencies in addressing some real challenges with employee burnout, employee churn, what is happening with physicians and nurses in our country today, looking at keeping the lights on with respect to cash flow projection, with respect to determining the best investments so that health systems and other organizations are solvent and are able to put that dollar back to patient care where it belongs. There are so many success stories out there, Fred, many of which that we are actively involved in, that we truly are at the cusp of a million streams of value that can come out of AI over the next few years. It's already happening, but the potential is so much more.
1: Mm-hmm. I know I was on a panel at, at HIM's, you know, a few months back, and uh, there was a discussion of some of the work that I think was done out of UC San Francisco using AI in terms of the process of of getting faxes and stuff. Could you talk about that some?
2: That's a very uh, interesting use case, huge value proposition for the University of California at San Francisco, specifically the Center for Digital Health Innovation um, led by Dr. Aaron Einstein now, and uh, we work closely with Dr. Michael Blum and Bob Rogers and Mary Beth and others over there. In order to look at the various PDFs, and scans that come into UCSF and UCSF built this intake and referral automation system that looks at the millions of documents they get and separate the referrals from those, from, for example, DMA requests or school forms and lab results, et cetera, and then be able to rapidly process those multi-page complex referrals in order to do a few things. The first was to improve the experience of the people involved, the intake specialists, to help them focus on specific things that needed to be caught rather than doing the mundane and being able to help them focus on other things that only humans can do and that machines can't do. What it also led to, as Bob Rogers and others talk about frequently, is also a dramatic improvement in the overall efficiency of the workflow itself from soup to nuts, not just within the health system, but also with all the other players, most importantly, the patient and their caregivers. And also, as it has been stated a few times now in various fora that you may have also heard, Fred, is testimonials from patients in terms of the improved speed of how they are able to interact with the health system and also especially when you take think about rare diseases and terminal diseases where days actually matter such a thing not only brings operational efficiency to the table which is something that we all expect it also brings an improved experience for the humans of the of healthcare everybody who's involved in that episode all the way from start to finish and most importantly also has an immediate impact on the patient experience
1: fantastic and one of the issues prashant i know that's come up a few times over the last year two years is um, these uses of AI within clinical settings and ultimately discovering that the system isn't producing the right answer for various groups or subgroups in that population and the bias in the data, What what is causing that and what's being done
0: about that? And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. Our guest is Prashant Nadarajan, Vice President at H2O.ai and best-selling author of Demystifying AI for the Enterprise.
2: I think uh, it's fundamental. It's, It's a conversation that is being thought through a lot. H2O AI has always been thinking about responsible AI, encompassing things such as reducing, identifying, reducing bias, both (laughs) known bias and unknown bias, but also incorporating fairness and ethics into AI, not as an afterthought, but by design and upfront. In order to do that, we should be able to use the latest machine learning techniques in interpretability and explainability which is understanding what the algorithms are doing and what the models are doing and giving the data scientist idea and transparency about what that's happening to also then explaining the results, intended, unintended, positive and negative to the other humans who are not data scientists, who are clinical users, who are patients, who are business users, who are administrative users. That becomes very important. We cannot think of responsible AI as an afterthought or as a patchwork or as a governance program that can be put into place because often we find as several well-known examples have shown us in the recent past, looking at it as an afterthought means that sometimes the impacts and the unintended consequences are well in operation and that are causing negative things to happen or are causing unknown things to happen even worse, right, without any knowledge. So I believe strongly that in order for us to do it by design, you got to choose the platforms, the products, the framework, and also importantly, build a culture of empowerment and responsibility that is baked into these from the get go.
1: Are you seeing, um, I know this happens, it's sort of across the board because of various issues in terms of willingness to be involved within a study or hesitancy to get into a research study or, um, not being able to get to research study or unwillingness to share data. So we end up getting data from various groups. Um, and I know of some studies where they look at it and say, well, golly, you know, this is getting a whole lot of white people enrolled in this study, but we're definitely underrepresented in other, other groups such as blacks or Asians or Hispanics or things like that. Are you seeing more of an effort to try to Um, build those data sets or get those uh, individuals who are less willing to share their data to understand the importance of that, as well as recognize, you know, potentially risks associated with that as well?
2: The answer to this, Fred, always, always, is we bring more people into the tent, under the tent, right? Not just into the tent after it's built, but in the process of making the tent, in the process of erecting the tent, right? So it's not enough to say that it, it can't be the tent equivalent of field of dreams. Build it and they will come, or build it and we will put diversity programs in place and make sure they come, right? That's not going to quite work out. It, 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 inclusion and diversity, fairness and bias, has to involve people in deciding whether that is an A-frame tent or whether that's a lean-to or whether it is some other kind of tent, because we don't know what environment we are in. We don't know if the tent that is being proposed and the material that is being proposed is even right for that environment or not. So the tent that is being built for a night of outside camping in Watts in Southern California has to be very different from the tent that is being prepared to stay on the top of a 14 er in Colorado. right? And that starts with some basic criteria. To me, the best way to address these needs is to bring the right individuals, the right communities and right populations into the mix. If we cannot do that because there is historical data where that wasn't done in the past, and but we can look at it in terms of moving forward and fix it forward. My colleagues at H2O are working on other data science techniques uh, uh, which look at, for example, the impact of variables For whom data for which data may not exist in the past, but looking at the dependency of those variables on the present. So, if a population has changed, right, and the data for that population is representative of the population as it existed 10 years ago or 25 years ago, but we know we've got a different population today, we've got different needs today. We can use AI to do AI, which is one of H2O's taglines, right? So, we don't have to limit ourselves to human constraints and human biases on how to address problems and data of the past, we can use AI to do that as well.
1: Fantastic. And one of the other areas that's been interesting and of interest to me is some of the techniques used in this, in this field are essentially black boxes, and it's hard to say what actually occurred to create that outcome. Any thoughts on that or how that gets addressed?
2: Healthcare is uh, not a black box environment. It cannot be a black box environment, or it could be a black box environment in probably 1% of the use cases. It has to be a very transparent white box in 99% of the use cases. And the 1% of the use cases where it can be a black box are ones where there is no impact on the quality of care on the cost of care on the patient or the caregivers their family members physicians nurses etc right It's very important for this is a great question because the question of black box or white box. The vast majority of AI players out there put solutions out there. I won't name names for it, but shame on many of them. They put out these black box solutions that it's almost like, well, either use it because we said so, or use it, or you know, uh, uh, trust us but don't verify. Uh, that's another metaphor, um, and things like that, right? So for for me. The ability to be able to use interpretability and explainability, but also to use things such as feature importance and to be able to build feedback loops, which we did in the UCSF case, which we are doing with other health systems across the country, providing humans not just the ability, but the control, over how the machine learning should happen and the retraining should happen. These are all important components of what converts a system from a black box to a white box.
1: Mm-hmm. So Prashant, you've kind of been all over in terms of working AI machine learning for a long, long time. It, you know, and looked at probably not just healthcare, but things in other space as well. What excites you the most? What do you think is going to be the most transformative thing over the next five years, 10 years?
2: I'd say the most transfer two things are from a technology standpoint, from a data standpoint, and I'm hearing this a lot from other thought leaders in the space and also from my customers is an increased focus on unstructured data. We have always been talking in healthcare and in other verticals, such as banking and insurance, where I've been working over the years, as being filled with 80% of unstructured data. I think it's a low number. It's probably likely higher from what we have heard. Um, but also more importantly, AI and machine learning have solutions for us to be able to go after these documents, images, and things like that, and actually get rapid value out of it. If we have spent the last 40 years of digital digital transformation, data platforms, mostly in capturing the structured data, which is that 20%. So just think of it, Fred, by being able to now go after the 80% of the data that has mostly remained out of reach i think we are just not just going to be able to create value out of that unstructured data for the humans uh, and businesses and companies but we are also going to be able to generate new value and new sources of structured data as well i am so excited about that from an enterprise standpoint and as a digital standpoint I'm also seeing an increased move towards a what have you done for me lately mentality, which I think is good because it's going to force us to focus on success rather than just activities.
1: If you were to say this one thing is achievable within the next couple of years, is it new drug discovery? Is it on an operational perspective? Or, or are there a bunch of these that are potentially going to break through over the next few years.
2: I, I think there's a bunch, Fred. I, 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 maybe three years or five years ago, if you had asked me this question, I would have given you a hesitating two or three guesses. Right now, I see such rich opportunity across the pharma side of the house, not just in sales and marketing, but also clinical trial management, patient recruitment, site selection, um, protocol validation, R&D, repurposing, just on the pharma side, right? On the health insurance side of the house, seeing a lot of action with documents again, conversational AI customer experience, and also population health, disease management. We already touched upon providers. Also seeing a lot of efforts happening on the public sector health. We are, both you and I, Fred, are very involved uh, in various efforts that we do in providing solutions to the countries and the global governments as well. And just the amount of, investments that are happening and also the value that is being created will will only increase and it's just a great time to be in ai in healthcare and life sciences
1: well really fantastic prashan i think you covered a lot of different areas and um it'll be interesting to see over the next year or two or three where we begin to see some of these things directly impacting it you know some of it we see as you've talked about that sort of on the backside; side it doesn't get people so excited although it's making huge differences like the UCSF system. But those that can get really relevant to where the patient, as you pointed out, you know, some patients are very pleased with that because of the the flow through, et cetera. But where we really start to see it impact potentially clinical care, population health will be fascinating to watch.
2: Yeah, I strongly urge your readers to contact you and us uh, to learn more about these real solutions that we have and how we can work together to democratize AI for healthcare.
1: Once again, Prashant, it's always a pleasure talking with you, and thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you, Fred. And back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank Prashant Natarajan, Vice President at H2O.ai and best-selling author of Demystifying AI for the Enterprise. Do follow his work on Twitter via at N-A-T-A-R-P-R and at H-2-O-A-I, respectively, and on the web via www.h2o.ai. And finally, if you're enjoying our work here at Pop Health Week, please like the show on the podcast platform of your choice, share with your colleagues, and do consider subscribing to keep up with new episodes as they're posted. We stream live on Healthcare Now Radio weekdays, 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and for you left coasters, 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Pacific. For Pop Health Week, my co-host Fred Goldstein, this is Greg saying, Please stay safe, everyone. Bye now.